Gold Stove Podcast and RD. We are live from Austin, Texas. Uh, it's beautiful today. 70 and sunny. Heading out to the golf tournament on my buddy's boat later on. Shouts to Harbs. Getting some hockey pod in though. Beforehand, how are you and RD? I feel great, right? Like, this is my offseason now. We just finished the Super Bowl. The Daytona 500 is coming up in June for the draft. That's my next big event. It's WrestleMania uh, again for me. There you go. So, you know, in terms of sports tentpole events, my final is over and done with. I, the good thing is we have this show now at the Cold Stove Pod that I can kind of flex my muscle now in talking about the game as opposed to just being the insider here. But um, we had some big moves happen, and I feel great. And it's uh, it's exciting times for this show because I'm really excited to uh, – Show what I can do to everybody out there when I'm not just dropping NRD bombs on Twitter. It's going to be a fun stretch here. Yeah. A couple NRD bombs, a Merriman Mortar or two in the midst of the last couple of weeks. Uh, uh, and, it, uh, you know, an exciting deadline. Some people were calling it a dud. And I think that's just kind of the lack of, you know, gigantic names that are usually or sometimes involved in this kind of stuff. Mark Ajay Fleury, obviously the biggest, is now a Minnesota Wild. Um, so let's just hop in. I mean, the major trades, like the Flurry trade and Giordano and Giroux and Hampus Lindholm. Where do you want to start, NRD? Or guess any surprises? This is going to be sort of a quick cold stove just to uh, recap and, and get some thoughts and, and whatnot out because we did three hours on Monday we did. where we basically tracked every single trade there was. Which was a good time. Broke uh, some scoops too. Up, we broke some coming scoops off on the air. weekend. Yep, yeah. absolutely. But uh, just kind of now that you've had a couple of days to digest your overall thoughts. You know, the first of all, the, the talk that this was a boring trade deadline by some out there. I mean, we had the most trades at a trade deadline in NHL history. The record was previously thirty-two. We had thirty-three on Monday completed. There you, there you go. So the volume was there. No, we didn't see the surprise name. Philip Forsberg still a member of the uh, Nashville Predators. Mark Shifley still a member of the Winnipeg Jets for now. And that's something we're going to talk about, you know, if we don't get to it today, but over the coming weeks on the show, we'll talk about what I know there in Winnipeg. But, you know, so the big names didn't get moved that we were surprised about. The ones that we knew about, the Giroux, the Fleury, they were on the move. The Arturi Lekkanen, by the way, your cup prediction of whoever gets Arturi Lekkanen is going to win the Stanley Cup. That's looking fantastic right now. Yeah, I got to say, I like uh, I like where he ended up in terms of my prediction. But uh, it could have been anybody. Could have been, been anybody. But you're sitting in the driver's seat right now with that. So nothing surprising, but we did have the volume there. It was an exciting day. I think the, the big deal, and we discussed this on the live show, is we had time to kind of break it down when things got into a lunch, lunch break for the GMs, was the Marc-Andre Fleury trade to Minnesota, right? We talked about Bill Guerin being a GM that had been on the record saying he doesn't have to make a trade for the sake of making a trade, and then it's on the guys in the locker room to work themselves out of that slump that they had. And I think it's really interesting. You could make the argument that the goaltender is the the keystone in the chemistry in the room. You could you know, play devil's advocate and say that he didn't mess with the, the primary crux of the chemistry of the lines or the defensive pairings. He goes and adds an elite goaltender to the mix alongside Cam Talbot, and they're solidified in net. And if there's any team that can take a shot, at you know Colorado and Calgary in the Western Conference, I think it's a team like Minnesota who looks good up front, solidified the back end a little bit, but is now really really solid in net. Yeah, I mean they they put uh, Delorier there. You have Middleton coming in. You have Flurry. Like they they got better uh, on Monday. Without and a doubt, they were already a good team. You know they have to kind of go for it now. Everybody knows that, but uh, they they certainly got better, and they were fun to watch last night. I watched the uh, 
Talbot and, and watching watching Flurry get involved in the in the warm up and whatnot, whatnot was fun too. But I like where Minnesota's at now, and you know who else I like is is Boston. They they've wanted to add a guy like Hampus Lindholm for a long time. I think they got better as well. The you know a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference got a lot. At least the contenders in the Eastern Conference got a lot better throughout the deadline and throughout the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about a team like the Boston Bruins that had a lot of things up in the air both that day and the days leading up to the deadline on Monday. What I know and what I could share right now is that they were deep into Ricard Raquel. They were deep into Max Domi. I think the Connor Garland thing, Don Sweeney had been in and out on Connor Garland for quite some time now. I think he took one last shot at it the morning of the deadline. You know, with DeBrus signed to that extension at four mil, I think the money made a little bit more sense. He had a, you know, he had some backbone to go after Vancouver again and say we can make this work. It eventually didn't end up working. So, yeah, there's a lot of Boston fans that are upset that Don Sweeney didn't improve up front, and I understand that. But he has improved up front at the deadline in years past. I mean, you look at some of the deals he's made in the past five, six seasons. Rick Nash, he brought in. Taylor Hall, he brought in. So he has no problem building up front. Charlie Coyle's another one that I forgot to mention. So he'll add guys up front. But the big factor in that Boston team being a contender has always been adding that top defenseman and not just buying, you know, a rental third pairing guy. And Hampus, to me, Hampus Lindholm was a top four guy, if not top two. Agreed. With, with a strong partner. And a guy like, you know, don't count out a Josh Brown, too. You know, they add, they add him to, as, as a depth guy for sure. Like, they Boston got better. Boston got better. Another trade I, uh, I liked, obviously, was the Arturi Lekkinen deal, taking to him to Colorado. And, and Colorado was maybe not as busy as we thought. They sort of, I don't want to say missed out on the Giroux sweepstakes. I think that's more a, a function of what Giroux wanted. But what do you think of, of Colorado heading into the playoffs here? We talk about Joe Sackick's patience, and you know I, I've made jokes at the lack of patience. Clearly, he doesn't have a lack of patience. He's got plenty of patience, and I think he stuck to his gun throughout this you know trading season. We knew all along that they were a strong contender for Claude Giroux, the connection with Nathan McKinnon. I think that he would have been a great fit in that locker room. I think a lot of the factors that played into it, like you mentioned, Giroux's desires, had to do with the East Coast, being as close to Philadelphia while being away as possible, his family there, his kids there. He can return a lot easier, um, income tax-free in the state of Florida. There's a lot of factors, I think, that went into his choice of going to Florida over Colorado. That being said, Sackick was patient. I think all along we knew that Justin Barron was going to be on the move. All along we knew that Drew Hellison was probably going to be on the move, maybe both of them in the Claude Giroux deal. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Now, Hellison goes to Anaheim. They bring in Josh Manson. You know, Barron in the second, which is the the meat and potatoes of the Giroux package, goes to you know, Montreal for Arturi Lekkinen. So he stuck to, hey, here's our five, you know, four or five assets that we're going to move at this deadline season. We're not going to, you know, depart from this list that I have here. Here's the guys and the picks that I want to move. And he moved out pretty much every single one of them. And he added talent. Josh Manson's a hell of a defenseman. I don't think he's as good as Hampus Lindholm, but I think he's going to provide stability to that back end, move the puck a little bit. And Arturi Lekkinen, like, you know, you said, I think he's, the piece, if you wanted to make a run at the Stanley Cup, he's the perfect guy to slot into your, on your third line. He plays really solid playoff hockey, that playoff style of hockey. And I think they flew under the radar, like you said. But to mm-hmm. your point, I think they won the deadline by doing the smart things. Not necessarily the biggest things, but the smart things. Let's stay out West in a team that didn't do um, maybe much of what we thought in Vancouver because Connor Garland, JT Miller, Brock Besser... Atal are still there. Tyler Mott is the one that's not. What do you think of Vancouver 
kind of staying put. You know, if there was any smoke, it kind of went from JT Miller to Connor Garland. Besser was always a name thrown around. But they end up staying put with those three big pieces. Why do you do that? And did they make the right decision in your mind? Hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And we're going to sit here now in, in, in a week and a half or two weeks as the playoff picture continues to evolve in the Western Conference and see if they really made the right decision by not selling off some of their top talent. I can tell you this, and this is just my opinion. And by the way, kudos to myself for not falling for the JT Miller smoke. I've been saying mm-hmm. on this this show for as long as you can remember, and as long as the listeners can remember. Golf claps for NRD. It was always fifty fifty. I don't. I never bought the hype into JT Miller being on the move for sure at the deadline. That some thought the Rangers, you know, that those talks fell apart. I believe that you know all along to not be as strong as people are saying. That be you know all that aside. I think they made the right move for them now. You have to reward that locker room for playing like they did once they brought in Bruce Boudreau behind the bench. They won a hot 7-0-8-0 start when he took over. They've been consistently better throughout the season after he got behind the bench and in charge there in Vancouver. And you have to reward the younger guys and the, I wouldn't say immature guys, but you have to reward the guys like the JT Millers and whatnot for playing. You know, lights out. He's still there. They're going to have a shot at the wild card here now. I think it's good for the morale of that team. I think a team that's underachieved in the past five or six seasons, it's good for them to sniff postseason success, if not, you know, achieve it and at least have that dynamic in the locker room for years to come now that you've entrusted this organization into Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvine, and Bruce Brudro. Definitely agree with you there. Like what they did. You know, don't don't I shouldn't say I like what they did. I don't mind what they did. Um, a team that I like what they did is the Anaheim Ducks. We knew they were open for business, and guess what? They see you later, Josh Manson. See you later, Nick Delorier. See you later, Hampus Lindholm, and see you later, Ricard Raquel. A couple pieces coming back. Like I really liked a Drew Hellison. I really, really liked a Zach Aston Reach. Shouts to the uh, Northeastern Huskies there. What are your uh, your your thoughts on the Anaheim Ducks? They have. We don't have any doubts that the Anaheim Ducks have the top end talent in the futures pool to to make some noise in this league in years to come, right? Trevor Zegras, you know, Jamie Drysdale, Mason McTavish, they have the guys there to win some games, you know, down the line the next three or four seasons. But the names that you mentioned, right? Drew Hellison's a really good, solid, you know, defensive option that they're going to have there on the blue line now. He's going to learn. He's going to play next to Jamie Drysdale at some point in the next couple of years. They're building depth that way. Zach Aston Reese. Not a world beater up front, but he adds depth to that roster. So while they have the top end prospects in place, I think they did an excellent job of more, uh, selling off, you know, the now at the expense of building depth for the future, right? Like Hampus Lindholm is a great defenseman. He's been there for a while in Anaheim, but you move him on, you bring in some futures and now you're bringing in other guys like Zach Aston Reese and the, the Raquel deal where you're starting to build out a team, right? You can almost see, like, if you look at the Anaheim Ducks right now, and what they did over the past couple of weeks, you almost can start to see a roster coming together. And, you know, large in part to Bob Murray's vision and now Pat Verbeek there in the front office there in Anaheim, that they have the top end pieces in place in the future, but they're starting to roster build the right way. And that's what I really like what they're doing there. I think if you're Anaheim, your only concern going forward in the next three or four years is what you're going to do in that that looming decision of John Gibson wanting to stay there. Mm -hmm. Totally. And they, you know what, they set themselves up with, they have two firsts, Two seconds this year. They have a first and three seconds next year and a first and three seconds the year after. They are doing a lot to put assets 
in their system, whether they trade them or not for prospects, picks, et cetera, they have a lot of ammo. And I think that's what you need as a new GM. You need a lot of ammo with a roster. You don't really know what the, the top end is doing, Getzlav and Gibson and, and uh, you know, the match Comtois and, and Adam Henrich of the world, right? So you're, you're setting yourself up the, for the future, kind of churning some of that roster over, giving yourself options, um, and, and building for the future. Now, a team that had, you know, I, I was going to say that's a perfect segue to the Buffalo Sabres, but I'll get to them in a bit. They don't deserve the top of this episode here. Um, a team that had probably had one of the more interesting trade deadlines, who has made probably the biggest trade in the NHL over the last year, is the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I know people hate when I say that. The Vegas Golden Knights. Sorry, guys. Uh, trading for Jack Eichel last November. But they had an interesting Monday NRD, and that's that's the Evgeny Dadnoff situation. Now, pretend I am an alien who just landed from Mars uh, and has no clue what is going on with the NHLPA and the NHL owners and the GMs and what like what happened with the Evgeny Dadnoff trade. I don't think, and this is funny, right? Because we talked about this before we we went live. I don't think anybody really knows exactly what's going on with Evgeny Dadanov, but we have some clue-ins. There's nothing I know that, you know, Elliot or Dregs or Freed or any of those guys, Frank, I should say, already, you know, have put out there. I just can at least try to explain it to you folks in the way that I have understood it over the past 24 to 48 hours. So it appears that when Evgeny Dadanov signed his contract with the Ottawa Senators going back, I believe, you know, a couple off-seasons ago, there was a no- modified no-trade clause at play, 10-team NTC, he had his list of 10 teams that were no-go to him. When he was traded from the Senators to the Vegas Golden Knights, clearly Vegas was not on that no-go list. He was fine with going to Vegas. They got that deal done. They sent him off to Vegas. At that point, this saga kind of begins there because he did have a 10-team modified no-trade clause in place. He didn't waive the no-trade clause to go to Vegas because they weren't on that 10-team list. Therefore, the trade clause is still technically in effect, at least in terms of what you know his party and his agency and his camp believe. That trade clause was never not in play. Flash forward to now, March 21st, we're on deadline Monday. He gets moved to the Anaheim Ducks. Appears to be done. Central Registry takes the phone call, or at least you know takes the phone call. Doesn't necessarily approve it because that's where we're here at today, but takes the phone call. And it turns out that in that 10-team no-trade clause list that he submitted way back when to Ottawa a couple of years ago, Anaheim, the Anaheim Ducks were on that list. He did not want to go to the Anaheim Ducks, then or now for that matter. Now we have an issue on our hands, right? Where we stand today is the belief that from when he got moved to Ottawa, from Ottawa to Vegas, the Ottawa Senators camp is you know claiming that they had administrative work they got that no trade clause over to vegas vegas was in possession of it i don't know if vegas didn't necessarily care about the no trade clause assumed it wasn't in effect anymore because he was moved to them i don't really know what you know in line of vegas's thinking was there to move dad off to the ducks but since then to now they never asked for a new trade clause from uh, a new list of trade no trade teams from the dad camp they just assumed that it was kind of null and void or out there somewhere and it didn't really matter he gets traded to the Ducks. Dadunov says, no way. I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. It was in my no 10-team no-go list. Vegas says, what list are you talking about? We don't have a list from you. We don't have an updated list, at least. And I think that's where we stand today. Really important thing to note is that, and I don't think it should apply in this case, only because 
the Anaheim Ducks don't look like they're going to make a run for the postseason here. But mm-hmm. trades in general, and this is not just for this case, trades in general for all, you know, for all time being, have been able to happen post-deadline in the NHL. It's just that that player is not eligible for the postseason if they get moved after the, after the deadline day. So from my understanding right now and from those that I spoke to in the league office, this deal did go through NHL Central Registry before 3 p.m. It is listed, you know, in the NHL trade sheet as a deal that was completed still up to this minute. So if the deal does end up working out where Dadanoff is on his way to the Anaheim Ducks, he would technically be eligible to play in the postseason as this deal was for most part completed before the, the 3 p.m. deadline on, on Monday the 21st. What's going on now is there's a grievance to be filed by the NHLPA and Dadanoff's camp to say that I had my list and I'm not going to Anaheim. If that's the case, then the trade would be null and voided. So it's it's really an interesting situation because, like, why is the central registry not responsible for the, like, for the team knowing that ten team NTC like, who who fucked up here? And and seems to me it's Vegas fucked up for not getting all the information from Ottawa. But, like, how do you not know who on your team has NTCs or not? Like, you just have to look at Cap Friendly, which I know 100% of the teams do. So, like, who, who, in your opinion, fucked up here? I think Vegas. The ignorance was on Vegas. Um, the but It's not Ottawa's responsibility to be like, hey, here, like, here is everything in the NTC, right? Or I, I don't, you know, I don't. I, I mean, don't know. this is what, this is how I understand it. it's a good debate, right? Because we really don't know, and that's why yeah. this situation is what it is. To me, the way I'm interpreting this, I think Ottawa's kind of wiped their hands clean here. They signed the contract with the player two years ago as a free agent. They trade him mm-hmm. to Vegas. Vegas is the one, you know, Bill Foley and that organization is signing his check. They're signing his paycheck, so they should have, you know a clue of what his contractual terms are to be paying him. And I think that that's, to me, I would say maybe Ottawa wasn't as foregoing about giving up that no trade clause list to Vegas when that initial deal happened a couple of, you know, last season, June 30th, I believe was the day that deal got done between the two teams. If that's the case, then maybe you could say Ottawa wasn't as clear as can be, but I think there's a lot of ignorance on Vegas's part. And unfortunately, you know, guilty by association when these things happen repeatedly with an organization, you tend to lose the benefit of the doubt. And I think you can't necessarily draw, it's apples to oranges to talk about the Mark Fleury, Mark Andre Fleury situation of him getting traded without being told by Vegas. But when you when you do people wrong, or at least the, the assumption around the league among some Asian agents that I've talked to is that they've done people wrong, then I think that the, you know, the benefit of the doubt doesn't always necessarily go to the team that is done wrong by other people. And I think that that's, to me at least, why the ignorance appears to be on Las Vegas. Yeah, that that made sense. It's it's uh, you know fool me once, shame on shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type of thing. Um, it it really sets them up for an interesting stretch run here, NRD, because if Dadenoff is not off the books, Vegas has some big time issues as far as the salary cap goes with guys coming back and getting healthy. Finally, if they are going to make a playoff push. You know, somebody's going to have to go on IR or somebody's going to have to be waived or moved. I guess I didn't really know that you could still trade people after the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that's not well known. 
right? So if like if Vegas traded Riley Smith tomorrow, he is not eligible for the playoffs, or Vegas is not eligible for. The no, playoffs? Riley Smith isn't eligible to play in the playoffs for the so, team that acquires him. So you could necessarily you could dump him on like an Arizona. Yeah, I mean if that's if that really is an option, it's rare, that, but it's happened before. Yeah. It's not completely unprecedented. It's not uncharted territory. It's happened, you know. Maybe I can count the amount of times it's happened in the last two decades on, you know, one hand, maybe less yeah. than one hand, but it has happened in the league. I think that it, in, I mean, if you're a team like Arizona, right, let's just workshop this for a second. I, I, let's role play. I'm Bill Armstrong, right? And, and you're, you know, Kelly McCrimmon. Okay. And Dadunov can't go to the Ducks now. They've, that grievance is successful. He's he's back with the Vegas Golden Knights. Pacioretty, Stone, these guys are healthy before the postseason. Salary cap's still in play. If you're... Bill Armstrong, you call up, you know, Kelly McCrimmon, I'll call you up and say, I'll take on one of your contracts, but I want XYZ to do it. Yeah. I want, sure. you know, Dorofayev. I want Morozov. I want some of your prospects. I want some of your big guns to take this money off of the hands so you could be cap compliant. Because if you're if you're not cap compliant, you're you can't play that like the game that night. You just can't. Add, you you have the, to cut somebody from the roster. Then they're off the active you, roster. Right. You would have to. You it would have to be a weird thing. Where you have to. You have to go into a game with sixteen guys or whatever. Correct. Man, that's so. That's going to be an interesting situation. And, and all, obviously, speed matters here in terms of filing agreements because you know whenever Vegas is playing again, they can probably get away with it the way they are constructed now with based on some injuries. But when people are healthy, this is going to need to be sorted out. The only way Vegas gets out of the weeds on this one, if it doesn't get settled anytime soon, is if, you know, at least one or two of their guys that are hurt remains injured throughout the rest of the regular season. And I think that's what, honestly, I think they're hoping for that right now in Vegas. Yeah, and I think now that we've seen it with with Tampa, and, and again, nobody is doing anything illegal here, but now that we've seen it, the NHL is going to crack down on, hey, this guy's okay. Like, let me see his medical records. Why is he still not playing or practicing or whatever it may be? I, it's it's a debate, right? Do you now assign? Because if that's the case, the NHL is going to say we have an independent doctor to check out every player. The NHLPA is going to be like we we need an independent. We doctor. have an independent, right? So like it, it gets hairy, and it's a debate that we can talk hours about. I think it's a really hairy situation. That's the problem when you know not not a bad problem. I'm I'm all for it, but. When you have a unionized industry like the Players Association, you know, those things can't necessarily happen. Just, hey, we're going to have an NHL doctor. Make sure you're clear to play. There's always going to be a counter by the by the PA. But it's it's a thing that has been talked about amongst some teams. Like, how can we avoid the cap circumvention for guys that appear to be healthy but being held out till the cap doesn't matter anymore? Yeah. yeah. Your guess is as good it's, as mine, man. It's, yeah, that's what it is. Know. It's what it is, unfortunately. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's going to be very interesting to see where Vegas goes with this. Um, let's get to the NRD bomb of the day. When Claude Giroux was traded to Florida, you had mentioned that New York now gets uh, friskier across the board, I could say. When did the Winnipeg deal start coming together, and how did you, uh, you sniff that one out, NRD? Well, shouts to who I know in Winnipeg. You know who you are, and uh, I'm blessed to be one of the only people with a landline connection to Winnipeg because not too many people have a phone there. So <laughs> glad to be the one, one of the only few that get in touch with people in Winnipeg. You and, and Lou Lamarillo, the only ones with landlines anymore. To Winnipeg, at least. At least specifically <laughs> Winnipeg. I can't fly in there because I don't even think they have an airport. But 
Oh, jeez. Shots fired. <laughs> Demi Columbus, man. Bad day to beat Emmer Columbus. Um, no, so what I had been told, and, and we discussed this, and I alluded to it on the show, was that there was always the, oppor- the, the idea that Chris Jury was going to pivot to if Giroux didn't come home and Chikrin was way out of price for the New York Rangers. It was going to be to you know add like a seventh defenseman. I don't think they really needed the defensive depth as like an actual day in day out guy. I think they just needed a seventh guy sit in the press box and then so does Justin, Justin Braun fills that yeah. case in point and then build that third and fourth line that they have there in New York. One of the big pieces. I mean, everybody's talking about the Capo Caco injury in New York. I think one of the big injuries that is flying under the radar right now is Kevin Rooney, a guy that has killed penalties there for the Rangers, a guy that loves playing in Gerard Gallant's system on that fourth line. Him not being there has severely hurt the depth of the bottom six there up front for the Rangers. So Drury pivots to doing that. From what I know, the Andrew Kopp stuff came about that morning of. I mean, they had remained interested in Andrew Kopp throughout the weekend and whatnot. I was told live on air, and the beauty of uh, archival footage and whatnot, you can go to the Wash Media YouTube, shouts to Wash Media, check out mm-hmm. Trade Melt 2.0 Live that we did, and you can kind of hear me work this out on air while I was receiving these texts. Colorado that morning, the morning of, I was told that the three finalists for Andrew Kopp were Colorado, the New York Rangers, and the Boston Bruins. Boston was probably third in the mix. I think they had their sights set on Raquel and Domi. I don't think Kopp was a main priority for them. So it was really the Rangers and the Colorado Avalanche in a two-horse race for this guy. What I was told was that Colorado had the offer in the driver's seat right now, a prospect in a second. I don't know 100% sure. I don't have this confirmed on record. But I believe that that it was Justin Barron. Uh, yeah, Justin Barron, because Hellison went down. It was Barron. So it, it was basically the the Lekinen. It was the Lekinen deal. They they lost yeah, out yeah. on Giroux. That was the meat of you know the Giroux package, and then they pivoted those two guys. And as I said before at the jump of the show, Sackick sucked stuck to his list of like four or five assets he was going to move, and it was Barron in the mm-hmm. second at the top of that list. So it was the Giroux thing that fell apart. Then it was the cop thing, and then Lekinen came available. So Barron in the second go to. You know, the Montreal Canadiens for, for Arturi Lekkanen. I think at that point, it put the New York Rangers in the driver's seat. Winnipeg did hold out throughout the morning, from what I was told, up to the minute in these conversations for a first-round pick for Andrew Kopp. Chris Drury was extremely reluctant to give that. Obviously, he didn't end up giving that for sure. The Rangers offer from around 1 p.m. Eastern time. It was texted to me as the offer was two seconds, and that wasn't enough to get it over the finish line yet. And that was pre-Arturi Lekkanen deal. For the you know the Colorado Island show, I was told the Rangers had two mm-hmm. seconds to play wasn't enough yet. When the Lekkanen thing went down, I think the Rangers were squarely in the driver's seat. I had said it on air. I put out the tweet that went somewhat viral. Shouts to a shouts to a, fan, a certain fan of the podcast for liking that one for knowing that NRD <laughs> was all over that with, at Scoop. You know who you are. But um, then I kind of alluded to it that things were getting done there. Last text I got like twenty minutes before the trade was. Looks like he's going to New York. It's two seconds and a sweetener. And that sweetener ended up being prospect Morgan Barron. By the way, brother of Justin Barron. Last first time since I know two brothers getting traded in, in one day. I think first time since nineteen eighty six that took place. I saw that that's on the awesome. NHL website. So that's pretty cool. But that's how the cop deal was consummated. Good deal for the New York Rangers. It really is in line with what we thought they were gonna do was rebuild that third and fourth line. I think he takes a lot of pressure off the lack of depth that they had there previously. Doesn't mean Dryden Hunt has to go out there and score goals anymore. It doesn't mean that Philip Heedle has to be a world beater. I think the really underrated thing about Copper and the New York Rangers is that he can take some draws. And I think the biggest concerns about Philip Heedle were his ability to play that center position. And if Cop can win some faceoffs 
on that third line. I think it takes a lot of pressure off of Heedle to potentially even play the wing alongside Cop and a Kevin Rooney or Cop and a Frankie Vitrano going forward. There you go. There you, there you have it, Rangers fans. We said nice scenes about you on the podcast. You miss out on Giroux, go build the, the third and fourth lines up, and you, and you did just that with Vitrano and Cop. Uh, some guys that didn't move. And RD, Jacob Chikrin being one of them, Jake DeBrusque being another one of them, uh, Colin Miller, John Klingberg, Calvin DeHaan. These guys did not move. Uh, who is kind of the most surprising there for you? I think the most talked about name, not necessarily the most surprising, but the most talked about name was Jake DeBrusque, not being on the move from the Boston Bruins. Who just got a new uh, contract extension. I think it's two years, $4 million per? $4 million in the- per, yeah, correct. And I think that that's why it was most surprising to a lot of people. It was under the assumption that that was a signing trade. Something was in the works that day. And I'm not saying right. something wasn't in the works. I'm not privy to where. Maybe it was a Raquel deal or what, uh, Ricard Raquel deal or whatnot. But either way, he needed a new contract. He had a $4.1 million qualifying offer as an RFA. That's just not appealing to teams that are looking to acquire a guy. It's much easier to acquire a guy that has some sort of contract laid out in front of him. They know what they're bringing onto their books for the next year or so. They signed him to that deal. I think he deserved it either way. He was playing a little bit better than he started the year off in Boston. It looks like a guy who actually wants to be there, at least wants to be on the move to somewhere that he's wanted. So he's playing like that. Good middle of the season that he's had. He gets that contract extension. I think it's a scenario where we had said on the show all along that Don Sweeney wasn't going to take a collection of picks for this guy. He genuinely wanted a hockey trade to add to that Boston Bruins roster. It didn't come to fruition. So... Hey, pal, meeting Jake DeBrusque, you know, shut up about your trade request. We're aware. We'll accommodate you in the offseason. But right now, you're going to play on our second and third line. You're going to have to contribute and maybe chase a cup here in Boston. Yeah, make a playoff yep. run, right? And I think that's kind of how it works. Yep. And, and hey, we will honor this re- request on the line. We get it. Here's the contract that we're going to be able to trade uh, in the offseason. Help us win now. Enjoy your last couple months in Boston. And, and we'll see you later type of thing. Yep, a- absolutely. And I think that there's, you know, similar situation you want to talk about one guy that was rumored to be moved alexander georgiev with the new york rangers as well very similar situation we need you now you know we'll work with you on your trade request in the offseason but right now we need the depth and then i think the uh the the way or excuse me the tide started to shift on chikrin as we approached the deadline saying hey the, the coyotes are going to be okay with guys not going anywhere the one that doesn't make sense at all to me is phil kessel but He's not going anywhere. Chikrin's not going anywhere until the offseason, I'm sure. Unless they say, hey, we're going to build around this guy. They but, should. Yeah, they should. Um, and then the last guy I mentioned there, NRD, was uh, was Colin Miller of the once-proud Buffalo Sabres. It's the start now, of something special here, but I'm just going to let Brett, Brett take it. Take the wheel, buddy. And Now, if you tell me that the Sabres – set the over-under of, of trades at four and a half coming into last week, I'd probably take the over. If you told me that come Monday night, the Sabres will have made one trade, I will say, are you fucking kidding me? The Sabres made one trade, NRD, which begets the, are you fucking kidding me? What? On the fucking planet, are you doing, if you are Kevin Adams, 
in the situation that the Sabres are in. And I don't want to hear Sabres fans, again, this is the second time in two weeks that you are wrong about the bullshit that the Padulas and Kevin fucking Adams are peddling. You are absolutely just wrong. You are you are defending and absolving them responsibility of not getting assets for guys that are gone and saying you're, you're defending Kevin Adams saying these 19 games to end the fucking year are so important for the development and the, and the culture of the team. What fucking culture have we built here so far? Are you kidding me? We are one year into this rebuild after like the the post Jack Eichel Sabers era, right? The next rebuild. It's not a tank. It's not. A, it's it's the next iteration of whatever this team's going to be. I see we have a future. Don't don't tell. Don't mistake me saying there's no culture for saying there's no future. There is a very clear core here. Alex Tuck and Dylan Cousins and and Jack Quinn. And, and and Jeff Skinner even, shoot, give him some credit, and Tage Thompson, there is very obviously a core. But there is absolutely not a winning culture yet. So to say that we're building this winning culture with the guys in this room and that's why we don't want to trade them because the returns weren't what we wanted them, absolutely fuck off. And I mentioned something about the Bagulas maybe being involved. I can't speak on that further yet. So I'm going to leave that where I left it is that I think they're too close already. I can't say whether or not they were in that room on Monday. But I have my suspicions on what was going on it's fair. over the phones. So I'm not going to I'm going to leave that there. But to tell me that uh, there's some egregious ones. Colin Miller egregious because to say that he can't get or, or I'm not going to take a, a fifth or fourth or third like like Nick Letty the return on his trade, Wallman, Sunquist, and a 2023 second-round pick. Um, Brett Kulak traded for William Lagesson, a 2022 second, and a 2024 seventh. Justin Braun was traded for a 2023 third. The defense market was there. The defense market was there, and people are going to bitch and say Colin Miller's injury was whatever, and so we didn't want a seventh-round pick for Colin Miller. One, the price wasn't a seventh. If Kevin Adams wanted a first for Colin Miller and didn't trade him because he couldn't get a first, what are you fucking doing? Colin Miller's back. He's healthy. He was playing like a first-round draft pick trade before he got hurt way back at the start of the season. He should have done it then. Trade it while the iron's hot. But you refuse to trade a guy who does not want to be here is a prick by all accounts, and he has 19 games to continue to take up a spot in that lineup where a guy, you can see what you have in Oscari Ladson and Casey Fitzgerald and guys that need time to play. In my perfect world, the Sabres go 0-19, right? I, I don't want to tank, and I know that's not good for morale or development, but like speaking from a perfectly uh, honest place, the Sabres are better off moving forward if they go in 0-19 and get a better draft pick. In the in the in the long term, in the near term, yeah, it's going to piss people off. It's going to be a, a losing culture. Granado's going to have to answer a lot of questions. So don't tell me that Owen nineteen is is perfect. I get that. I get that. I'm in a vacuum here, guys. But to to have guys on that team, and you walk into Monday with eight pending UFAs, 
and you walk out of Monday with eight pending UFAs is fucking absurd. To not get any assets for guys that I bet you six out of the eight are not Buffalo Sabres, and four out of those six probably aren't NHL guys next year. To walk away with that little I just fucking idea of asset management and then to buy the line that, oh, we didn't get the returns we wanted, so we'd rather have these guys in the locker room because they're building something for 19 games. These guys want to golf. I like what they're doing. They're on a little run here. I, I get that there's a feel-good you know, environment here that has been lacking for so long. But that's just so fucking short-sighted to say that a guy like Colin Miller's in the locker room building culture when he doesn't want to be here. He's coming to practice like, why the fuck am I not chasing a Stanley Cup today? What does our Oscari Ladson have? What does Casey Fitzgerald have? What do guys like Owen Power is going to be there after they get bounced by Northeastern in the championship game? Devin Levi is going to be there. And they have Tokarski and Anderson on the team. I, I get some of these guys staying. I get Craig Anderson staying. I like him staying. I get Vinny Hinnestrosa, even though he's playing well enough that I wanted a return for him. He's a guy that that people look up to. People don't look up to Colin Miller. People don't look up to Dustin Tokarski. People don't look up to Will Butcher. Will Butcher and Cody Eakin should have gotten a bag of pucks. Somebody would have, would have traded for Cody Eakin for a sixth-round pick. I've been absolutely fine with that because late-round picks and picks in general, not only do they, they be thrown into packages for players as a, as a sweetener, like we call them, they can be traded day of draft to say, I really like this guy. We're in the middle of the fourth round. I'm going to give you our sixth because I want to hop up five spots to get this guy in the fourth that I think somebody else is going to take, okay? So there's two causes there in terms of trade assets and trade pieces. And the third is lottery tickets, right? Chances are a sixth-round pick is not going to crack your lineup for five years or at all. But guess what? It happens. You find diamonds in the rough. So to give yourself more chances with lottery picks, more chances with trade assets, I'm not – like people are like, oh, they don't have a sixth-round pick. He's not going to play. Who cares about the sixth-round pick? It's not about the direct sixth-round pick translating to an NHL player. It's about what that extra sixth or extra fifth or extra seventh allows you to do. So that's why I just want people in Buffalo to think. Use your brains and think about roster development and roster construction and not listen to dinosaurs. Seventh-round pick is not a seventh-round pick straight up. Seventh-round pick is a team-building asset. Okay? This is it's just the, the fucking checkers that Buffalo people like to play with themselves in this hockey team is so annoying. Play chess for once. Please. I love the city of Buffalo. I love Buffalo fans. But you guys have to stop playing mental checkers with this fucking incompetent regime. Play chess for once, please. And Cody Eaton should not be on this team. <laughs> I don't. And John, you know, it's. It's just frustrating because you could have come out of this with roster space and you, and you probably have to trade for a contract, right? You go pick up Shea Weber's contract or something like that for future considerations to be cap compliant, of course. But the, the, the fact that you just, you, you end up with Robert Hag going to Florida for a sixth round pick. And that is the only move that you make at the deadline as a GM. Now, if Kevin Adams is not allowed to trade 
Cody Eakin for a fourth because uh, the owner, Terry Pagula, is obsessed with Cody Eakin's Stanley Cup run from fucking four years ago. That is criminal. That's literally criminal. You're stealing from the franchise that you fucking own. You're not saying that's for a fact, too. I just want to clarify for the no, people no, out no. there. Yeah, no, no, no. Correct. I... This is not a for a fact. But if that is the mm-hmm. case, it's criminal. It's criminal. The only thing I'll say and is... And I, I, I just cannot... I just cannot understand the philosophy of going in with eight UFAs who the only ones I'd love to have back are Mark Pizic and Vinny Henestrosa and like Craig Anderson if he doesn't retire right Craig Anderson's a special circumstance so I'm okay with him staying he's got a family he doesn't want to uproot he's he's chased enough cups that's different put him on a different side of this so call it seven trade assets and you come back on Tuesday morning's practice with those seven trade assets still on your team? It's rough. What are you doing? The only thing I'll say is this. What are you doing? I, I don't know if this helps or you know hurts. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here because I agree with everything you said. Similar team in a similar situation, the Winnipeg Jets. One guy that we thought was going to be on the move on Monday was Paul Stastny. And I liken him a lot to Cody Miller, not because they play the same position. Clearly, they're on two opposite ends of the ice. But... A guy that you would have thought could help out a Stanley Cup contender. Sure. From what I know about Paul Stastny, and like I said, this is going to tie back into the Sabres, is that the offers just weren't there. And Kevin Cheveldayoff said, listen, we're not going to trade Paul Stastny for a, a fourth and a fifth. We don't think this draft class is very deep. I understand what your point is about roster building. I agree with your points. I'm just kind of telling you what I know, at least from another organization, about their philosophy. And I think there's a lot of similar thoughts with what the Sabres did is that we don't feel that the draft is deep enough to trade a guy like that for a fourth or a fifth round pick. He's familiar with our locker room. We need bodies to finish out the year just in case. We'll stick with him and we'll see, you know, if we can bring him back on a team-friendly deal. We'll see where this situation goes in the offseason. And like I said, it's it's not apples to oranges, but it's also not a direct comparison. It's just what I know is that there were a few teams out there with a similar mindset in that they weren't necessarily happy and quite surprised that there wasn't that much interest in some of the, the unrestricted free agents that they had available. And they decided at that point, almost out of spite, to sit on their hands with that guy and not just take whatever is left available. In your point about Cody Eakin, yeah, why is that guy there? It should be a bag of pucks. And I'm sure he's a great guy. He's got a great head of lettuce on him, great stash. But there's no reason why he needs to be on the Buffalo Sabres taking minutes away from some of these kids that need to show what they can do at the NHL level here in the next 19 games. But... I think there was a mindset of that around the league amongst many GMs that the the mid-round scratch-offs weren't necessarily worth it to them. Are they wrong? They could be. We talk about dinosaurs not always necessarily being right. And that's the one thing, you know, we talk you have to understand. Like I'm not I'm not saying that you or I or the next person knows any better than an NHL general manager, but sometimes people who analyze these things for a living like yourself and myself see things that the GMs don't necessarily see when you're in the mix in that day-to-day operations of it. And I think that that is where, at least with the Stasty thing to the Miller thing, to your point, I think that's where the mindset at least was with the Buffalo Sabres when looking at teams in similar situations throughout the league. Yeah. And, and my, my counter to that would be like, it's Paul Stastny, a guy who's made $7 million a year at one point and, and, gets it whereas Colin Miller and a co like if you're if you're Colin Miller or Cody Eakin if it, like we don't want a sixth round pick for these guys we'd rather just keep them like what what does it say about your locker room where you want to keep 
sixth and seventh round guys, like the equivalent in your locker room. What does what does that say about your culture? Do you really want those guys? Or do you want a Paul Stasny who's a second round pick who's made his money, thirty six years old? Like that's that's the difference for me. And Winnipeg obviously is in a, a new new build, a new regime there, a new uh, kind of a new new paint on the whip. Where Buffalo knew what they had going in. What Winnipeg going into the year was a fucking Stanley Cup pick. Buffalo was the was the the green jacket pick. The worst plus minus in the lead. You could have put the Buffalo Sabres there. Yeah. So that's the difference is you are deciding to keep this team intact pretty much as is going into the offseason where you're going to lose a majority at the very least of those guys, if not a super majority of those guys, and and just have no for, – for nothing, for absolutely nothing. So you can keep the culture – the fucking culture intact for 19 more games. It's tough. I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I there's, I'm running out of points to kind of just play back and forth, That's embrace just... debate. I can't even really do it. I'm going to be honest with you. You got me there. You've stumped NRD. And the only thing like I can say is I can share that there were a few GMs around the league with the similar mindset of, hey, let's just hold on to the guys we have because they're familiar here. But I agree with you. It's not apple. You know, it's not apples to apples. Yeah, yeah. Paul Stasny. You know what? If he, if if I'm a GM and I go to Paul Stasny, who's 36 and has a family and has earned it. Yeah, I keep him like, around. Yeah, I agree. Hey, I, yeah. I I appreciate not being traded. I I don't really need to go after and do this stuff unless it's like a Colorado or a, like unless it's the perfect situation. I'd prefer not to, and I'd say, okay, Paul, you've earned that. You know who hasn't earned that? NRD. Dustin Tokarski. Cody Eakin. Vinny Henestrosa, John Hayden, Colin Miller, Will Butcher, Mark Pizik, uh, Dustin Tokarski, and you know what? I'll say Craig Anderson has very much earned that right. The only name I won't accept in that list is Tokarski only because we saw what happened to the goaltending market throughout the day. It kind of fell apart. I don't think there were any suitors fell on the market. It's fine. But you know why I'm, mo- I'm, the, I'm the most mad at that? Because Devin Levi is going to be ready. And UPL. He need He's an NHL goalie. He's an he's an NHL goalie, and if he's not, he's he's at least he's at least earned a look to start fifteen of those nineteen. Well, you need games. to know he's you need to know and if he's an NHL goalie to know yeah. because you have Devin Levi and Eric Portillo, two college guys that could very well uh, sign out of their once Michigan's bounced, once Northeastern's bounced after they win the national championship. You have you're going to have three guys for however many crease spots. You need to know what you have. You need to know what you have in Oscar Ladston. You need to know what you have in Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka. Why are they playing AHL games? They can go back down for the playoffs. I, that, I'm all fine and dandy with that. But to, to, to ride this roster out for 19 games because you didn't get a fucking first-round pick for Colin Miller. What, like, what? How does that make any sense for next year or the year after or the year after that? Don't have an argument. And then I'll yet. go in my, my final point into some people were like, oh, they didn't buy anything. The stuff they were or semi in on has been laid uh, groundwork wise for the offseason. So I'll put it that way. Who was it? Because some GM, there was Fletcher said it a couple of years ago. Another GM actually 
in his pro deadline presser said on Monday that these that we worked out some groundwork for some deals that we're going to pursue yeah. in the offseason. It might have been Doug Armstrong even who said it. And you know what? Well, you know what happened uh, or has happened in the last two weeks is that Vegas is dropping like a stone. So that first round draft pick that Vegas has is going from a 31st overall potentially to a top 15 pick very quickly. And so that asset is is changing rapidly because you, you kind of look at the NHL draft in terms of talent, right? The, the, the first pick is here and then it kind of exponentially falls. And so rounds three, four, five, talent drop off is, is Flat. much flatter of a curve than at the very beginning. If you could so see, that pick value if you guys is, at home could see Brett, he's he's doing chart dynamics with his hands right now. <laughs> but it's, it, it really is, it, it's sad. They didn't buy because the really market for it, sad, they didn't man. buy because the the market for a team like Buffalo to buy wasn't there. We know it didn't develop throughout the day. Correct. It didn't. And, and that's, that happens. That happens. I know that conversations were had. Guys don't need to be moved for a, a, a premium. Because once you see the forward market and the deep, like some of these, some of these prices are getting way up. They were there. up there. And Kevin Adams has has no problem sitting on his hands on that front, and I'm fine with that because those are going to be off season moves primarily, and they will happen. They need to happen. Well, I, fuck, I don't know at this point, but they need to happen, and the off seasons where they're going to happen. But the, the the trimming the fat for asset and draft capital to be used in trades and potential lottery tickets wise, that is. That that is like negligence. Needed to be done, and and to not have a plan A, or excuse me, to not have a plan B, if your whole plan going into Monday was Hinnestros is going to get a second or a third, and Colin Miller is going to get a second or third, and then I'm going to fucking win the trade deadline, and all of a sudden you call four GMs and they all say a fourth or a fifth for them, and you panic and say no, or you panic and get told no by somebody else in the room. That's crazy. That's that's negligent. the only other team that I think is in the similar boat as them is the, the the Columbus Blue Jackets. Talking about a team that's not there this year that maybe could have bought selectively, but the market didn't develop. I mean, you know, the, the Blue Jackets were well in on Chikrin, and that didn't come to fruition yet. At least some groundwork was probably laid there, and maybe some similarities with the Sabers, like you mentioned. You're plugged in there. I know groundwork was met. You know, maybe we should sell our text threads on Patreon. We'll uh, make some bank for the show because I know you know that there's some things going on in that room for later on down the line but for now it is what it is i think that to the point that people would, would say to you that oh they didn't buy you said they were going to buy the, the market had to develop the buffalo sabers were not buying an andrew cop who needs a contract at the end of this year they weren't buying a max domi who needs a contract at the end of this year they were buying a claude Giroux or uh you know arturi lekanen who needs a contract they're great players they're great playoff hockey players you need those guys to be successful in this league but buffalo is not there yet you weren't going to buy those guys you were going to buy a Patrick Line. You were going to buy a guy like that if he became available. You were going to buy uh, if if any if the, the the smoke was Vancouver. I'll leave it there. But the smoke was You're going to buy a Brock Besser. You're going you know yeah. Yeah. You're going to buy a Brock Besser if if that opportunity comes available. It wasn't available then. Doesn't mean it's not ever going to be available, you know, going forward, but it wasn't there on Monday the 23rd, 21st. So to say that they didn't buy and get angry about that I don't think it's fair. Like, there's many things we can talk about that the Buffalo Sabres royally fucked up here in the past couple of weeks. I don't think not buying's one of them. I think the market didn't develop. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would have sit on it, sat on his hands, Kevin Adams, and disappointed us all. But that market just simply didn't develop to that point. Guys like Besser, guys like Line, I didn't pop up. That you know, maybe we thought there was a chance they would. 
and that's fine. I agree with that. But the the tradable assets that they had and the lack of foresight to weaponize cap space in a in a flat cap era to not weaponize your cap space for teams that need it, like uh, Vegas, Golden fucking Knights. Somehow, some way, I think even Florida weaponized cap space in that Max Domi deal. They were a third party. It was a three-team trade between the, the Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's called competence. The Sabres lack most of it. Not going to disagree with you. NRD, that's it for me. Anything else before we bail? No. It was a good episode. I think we uh, broke everything down as well as we could. I think we're going to be back. You know, We'll see if we're going to do some two weeks, one week. doesn't matter. We're going to have a guest coming up. I dropped that on the live show. I guess that you all have, you know, seen on your TV over the past decade or so talking about NHL hockey. So we're excited to get him on. We'll work that out and we will, uh, we'll, we're going to have an exciting sprint from here to the playoffs. We're going to continue. We're with you. Not going anywhere, not leaving Twitter, not leaving this show just because the deadline's over. This isn't uh this isn't always rumor hour. This is cold stove, a hockey podcast presented by wash media. Brett and I we're talking hockey with you from now through whenever we stop, whenever we're not entertaining again one day. There you go. You t- you stole my job. You stole the hosting duty. Did I just take it from you? I'll just, I, I'll just yeah. I'll just get out of you know, here. I, see you guys. No, next, you know what? See you guys next week. I don't mean to take it from under you. I was thinking about all this while you were on your Buffalo Sabers rant. I'm like, I got time. Let me start writing down things that make me sound like I know what the fuck I'm doing, Brett. <laughs> we are Cold Stove Pod at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman. Uh, that's NRD at NHL Rumors Daily. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.